Hopefully the other two will make it in through the rain. Um, bunch of things due today. So extra credit assignment. If you're going to do that, I know a couple have already done that, subscribing to the podcast and sending me an email. If you did, you've already, the credit should already be added to your score. Um, if not, I can still do that anytime today. Homework one is due today. Um, I know it's been submitted. I know a couple have submitted it already. Um, today again means 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. So if you want to finish it by then, I hope that even if they're submitted by 6 o'clock tomorrow morning, I hope to give them back to you so you can take a quick look over them before the exam tomorrow. So since I have a couple already submitted and if I get, a couple, if I get the rest of them, I can take a quick look at those tomorrow morning and get your grades on them. And at least you'll have them back to look at. Same thing with quiz one. Quiz one, if you haven't taken, is available through 6 o'clock tomorrow. If you want to go in and look at your answers, you have to wait until 6 o'clock tomorrow once the exam closes. So you may want to take a look at them and see what you missed as a quick review you know, tomorrow morning or something before the, before, the, before the exam. Typically, they'll be available on Tuesday because the quizzes close on Monday, but that's just because of the holiday so I could give people a final reminder. So that's what's due today. Tomorrow is the solar observations. If you've had a chance to get one, hopefully you've had a chance to get one because today doesn't look too promising. I don't know whether it's supposed to keep up like this all day or not, but it doesn't look too good right now. And then exam one is tomorrow. I'm sorry? I said I think it's supposed to be pretty dreary until dreary. 1 o'clock. Yeah. Oh, well, as long as it's clear by 1.15. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exam one tomorrow covering chapters 0 through 2. We've gone through almost all of that already. I've got a little bit of chapter 2. Uh, for the exam, it'll be about, I, typically it's about 30 questions split up among uh, true-false, multiple choice. I'm going to give you a copy of these as well. Um, Fill-ins and essays. Essays being short answer and similar to the homeworks. So not as in you've got to write a full formal essay. Um, what I've given you there, are th those are the summary questions that I put up on D2L. You may have already looked at them. That's what you're allowed to bring to the exam. So if you're allowed to use that as a reference, if you want to write notes on it, if you want to sketch in answers, if you want to use that as a study for it, you can do that. If you've already printed out your own copies and done that, you're welcome to use the ones you've already got. If you want to use that, anything you want to write on, it just sometimes helps to jog your memory. If you're in something just isn't quite fitting with you, you can, you can use that. If yes? No. No. What? I know, but you can put other stuff. It's just, just, the, just those sets of sheets. Sorry. I got to be difficult, you know. <laughs> Never hurts to ask, though. And then homework two is due on the 30th. Again, take a look at least the first five of those. You don't have to answer them physically, but if you have an idea of the first five, of how maybe you'd answer them, you might see something similar coming up on the, on the exams. Again, on the exam, you will not see any of the calculations that we saw in homework one or that we did in the activity from last time. You won't see any calculations like that on the exam. So you'll see them in the labs. You see, might see them on the homeworks, but you won't see those on the exams. And then the first article review is due a week from yesterday, June 3rd. And I have those sample ones up there if you want one of those. Or you can, of course, find, find your own. If you're unsure, just go ahead and send me an email with it. I'll be happy to look at it as long as you're you know, doing that early enough that I have time to take a look at it. If you send it to me you know, at 10 o'clock on June 2nd, you're probably not going to get an answer back in time to be able to tell you, yes, it's a good article, or no, you need to pick out something else. If you pick out one of the ones that I've put up on D2L, of course, those are certainly acceptable. So, questions?
got 60% of the class. That's 60% of a small class is just small though. Alrighty, well we got our picture of the day for today. Um, another galaxy, we looked at a galaxy last week one of the days as I recall. This is actually a very close galaxy to us. This is called the Large Magellanic Cloud and one of the closer galaxies to us. Uh, it's actually a satellite galaxy of our own Milky Way. So this, like the planets orbit around the sun in the solar system, we have our galaxy and we have smaller galaxies, not just this one but a number of them, that orbit around our own galaxy. So uh, galaxies can have satellites just as stars can have planets orbiting them or planets can have moons orbiting around them. Galaxies can have smaller satellites that orbit around them. And this is the Large Magellanic Cloud. Um, easy, easily visible in the sky as long as you're south of the equator. So if you ever make a trip down to Australia, you'll be able to look, you'll be able to see this cloud, this cloudy area in the sky, which is how it got its name uh, when Magellan made trips south of the equator that, that named these objects after, after him as two puffy clouds that were almost visible in the southern sky. Unfortunately, they're so far south that you can't see them any place up here up really north of the equator. Unless you get down to the equator or further south of it, you, don't, you can't really see these. So you've got to make a trip down to you know, um, southern Africa, Australia, South America, some place to be able to see these. Uh, traveling in the northern hemisphere isn't going to help you much. Um, this is actually interesting because it was the site of a supernova explosion. Uh, what was it? 1987. So few years ago, a few years ago now, but a supernova explosion. A supernova is a star that tears itself apart and will for a while become one of the brightest objects visible. And a supernova occurred in this galaxy back in 1987. That's important. Now we'll talk about stellar evolution. We'll talk about supernovae later in the class. But it's important because in this case it was so close to us we could actually study it in much more detail than we typically can. And we could actually see the star before it exploded. We could actually go back to old images taken of, this, of the Magellanic Clouds and see this star before it exploded. So it actually gave us a lot of information and a better understanding of the process of a supernova. Now, the last supernova in our own galaxy was actually in late 1500s that we could see, the last one we could actually see, late 1500s, a little bit before Galileo and the telescope. So since the telescope has been invented, there hasn't been a supernova in our galaxy, at least not one that we were able to see. We can't see all of our, all of our galaxy at times because some of it gets blocked out by different dust and, and that kind of stuff. So stop there before I keep going on. Rest of the rest of the class is coming up there too. We'll talk a lot of this about in the rest of the class. Questions? No, no it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. It's not about this. That's fine. I go ahead. One, well, when I was getting come in, it kind of got locked out of my car, so I had to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I left my notebook on my desk there. Is any of that email you can answer for my homework? Yeah, you can just submit submit them on D2L. Yeah, just, you can just type them in there and sub, as long as they're in by 6 o'clock tomorrow, they're, they're not late for the homework. The quiz you'll still be able to do and then the other stuff. So yeah, that, you, can, you can certainly do that. That's fine. Fun morning, fun day already. It feels like a Monday even though it's Tuesday, right? <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and finish up Chapter 2 and get on to Chapter 3 then before we head into the 
exam. Um, let me give you, let me give, and I gave, uh, sorry, you came in after. I gave you a copy of this. Uh, these are the notes that I put up on D2L, sort of my questions. You're, you can bring that back for tomorrow. The first exam covers those three chapters. You can bring that to the exam. So if you want to sketch in any notes or take anything else on it, you can bring that in. No extra sheets. But you can use anything you want to write on there is, is, is uh, fair for the to use for the exam. But no other books, no notes, electronic devices, and, and so on. All right. Well, we had just, we were talking about spectroscopy last time. And in fact, the last thing I was showing you, I believe, was this. In fact, I might have gone over to the next slide and said, no, I don't want to talk about that quite yet. But we were looking at the different spectra. This is what we're going to do in lab today. So lab is actually going to involve looking at, well, not the molecular hydrogen spectra, but the atomic hydrogen spectra is actually at the very back table back there. You're going to take a look at that. And look at a couple of other elements. You're going to look at neon, mercury, helium. And then you're also going to look at water and air and see how their spectra compare. So we're going to look at a couple of those today and give you a little bit better idea of you know, how that works. So that's our lab that we're going to be doing the second part of class today. But to finish up here on the spectra, the last thing I want to talk about is the Doppler effect. And I know we get that yucky equation down there. But really what the Doppler effect says, and it's something you're familiar with, if not by name, by what the process is. And it just says that if you're moving towards a source of radiation, meaning any kind of wave, that if you move towards that source, the wavelengths will seem shorter. And if you move away, they seem louder. Now, where you might be familiar with this is if you're standing on the street and a fire truck goes by, police siren goes by, as it comes towards you, it gets a much higher pitch as it's coming in. Right? Sounds a lot higher. As it passes you, it turns down and it's a lot lower pitch. Now, no, it's nobody in the, in the cab switching a sound to change the pitch of the, of the bell of the alarm ringing, the siren ringing, it's actually just because it is moving towards you, it compresses the waves and makes them shorter or a much higher pitch. And as it's moving away, it stretches out those waves and makes them a much lower pitch. The same thing happens with sound. So sound, sound with sound, the same thing that happens with sound will also happen with light. If you're moving towards a source of radiation, the wavelengths are going to seem a little bit shorter. If you're moving away, they're going to be a little bit longer. And you can get, there's a calculate, there's an equation here which really says that your uh, apparent wavelength, what you see, where you observe a wave, a specific wavelength, divided by the true wavelength, where should it be? If nothing were moving, it would be in one spot. But because it's moving, it's going to get shifted a little bit. If you take that and divide those two, that's equal to 1 plus your velocity divided by the wave speed. Let's do this. divided by the wave speed. How fast are the waves moving? This wave speed for all the electromagnetic waves that we talk about, whether they're x-rays or gamma rays or visible light or radio waves, is always the speed of light, which is about 300 
thousand kilometers per second. So we know that. If we're looking at any kind of distant galaxy, we know what the wave speed is. It's always the speed of light. So we know that number. We can know what the true wavelength, we can know where this, where this uh, spectrum is supposed to be. If it's a spectrum of hydrogen, we know exactly where the hydrogen lines fall in the laboratory. We can measure precisely what wavelength we're going to get. So the only thing we need to measure is the apparent wavelength, where they appear to fall. And if we get that, then we know everything else in here and we can calculate the velocity. So we can figure out how fast this is moving relative to the speed of light. So this number we know. This number is a fixed number for whatever, wave, whatever line we're looking at. And the apparent wavelength is what we'd actually measure. That would be the measured thing. And then the velocity is what we'd be able to determine. So just by looking at the light from an object, we can now determine how fast it's moving. So we looked before last time, we looked at its composition. We can tell what it's made up of. Now we can tell whether it's moving away from us or towards us and how fast it's moving. So giving us another piece of information, again, without ever touching that, without any other kind of measurement, just looking at the light. Now if we look at the Doppler effect, it really depends only on the relative motion. It doesn't really matter who's doing the moving. So if the fire truck we're standing still and you go by it, right? As you approach it, you're going to be getting closer. The pitch is going to seem higher. And as you pass it, it's going to seem a much lower pitch. It doesn't matter whether that's the case or whether you're standing still and the truck is passing you. You're going to get exactly the same effect. So it only depends on the relative motion. It doesn't matter who's actually doing the moving. It'll come out exactly the same. Now, here, if the source is not moving, the image is showing you here, you have the source not moving. All the wavelengths go out uniformly in all directions, and everybody's going to measure the same wavelength. If instead the source is moving, so here it is at time one, a little bit later it's moved here, here, and here, and at those times it sent out a light signal. So at time one it sent out a light signal that's centered on point one. At time two, sent out another light pulse. Centered on point two, three, a third one, and four, a fourth one. If it's now moving in the direction of one of the spacecraft, you see how all the waves get bunched closer together? It's going to see more and more waves, a shorter wavelength, and it's going to be what we call a blue shift. It's shifted towards the blue portion of the spectrum or shifted towards shorter wavelengths. Same source, the same source is still emitting the same, same radiation, exactly the same. It's only because of the motion that this observer sees it shifted. An observer on the other side, that the source is moving away from, from us, is going to see the exact opposite effect. Again, you have the same set of light pulses sent out by this object that's move, now moving away from this spacecraft. And as it does that, the wavelengths are going to get stretched out longer and longer and we're going to see it shifted towards the longer portion of the spectrum, the longer wavelengths, and it'll appear to have a redshift. So it'll be redshifted. So if you see a redshift that shifted towards longer wavelengths, it means it's moving away from you. A blue shift is shifted towards shorter wavelengths, means it's moving towards you. Or you're moving towards it, but there's no way to tell the difference. If I measure the Doppler shift of a star, I can't tell you for sure whether the star is coming towards us 
or we're going towards the star, or some combination of the two. We're both going towards each other. There's no way to specifically tell that. We can only tell the relative motion, and that's really what this is, what this is saying. And then finally, the Doppler effect doesn't shift just the individual lines, it shifts the entire spectrum. So it'll shift everything. So here this diagram is showing you hydrogen. So here's where hydrogen is supposed to be. Hydrogen is supposed to have a nice bright red line at about 656 nanometers. There's a bluish green line at 486. There's a bluer line at 434 and then some purple lines out into the purple. That's where it should be if it's not moving. If that, if that object, there is no motion between us and that object, that's, those are the wavelengths we would measure. If instead that object is moving towards us, we're going to see every single line in the spectrum shifted. See how the pattern remains the same. We still see the exact same pattern, but everything is shifted a little bit towards the blue portion of the spectrum, towards the blue and the violet. So this line's been shifted, this line's been shifted, these, this, this triplet of lines has been shifted, this line, every single line has been shifted towards the shorter wavelengths or towards the blue portion of the spectrum. The top frame there is showing what happens if you're moving away. Same effect, the entire spectrum still looks exactly the same, but now everything has been shifted a little bit towards longer wavelengths. So this hydrogen line, instead of being 656.3, might be measured at 657, a little bit further out to the red. But it's the entire spectrum that will shift. And that is one way we can tell and we can actually measure how fast objects are moving. The faster they're moving, the bigger the shift. So if this object is approaching us at 600 kilometers per second, if it were moving twice as fast, that shift would be twice as much and it would appear here. If we were moving 10 times as fast, it could be shifted way over here. So you can actually get shifts, and we see a lot more red shifts. Things are moving away a lot more than they're moving towards us. We'll talk about that towards the end of the class. But you can actually get shifts that are large enough where you can take things that are in the blue and have it moving away so fast that they'll actually appear in the orange or the red portion of the spectrum. So you can have things moving that fast that you would actually be able to change the color of the line. It would actually look different because it's moving away. So that's incredible velocities. You're talking about things that are half the speed of light, three quarters the speed of light. Nothing that you're ever going to see here on Earth. So now you're not going to be walking towards something and see you know, a, a green light turn red. right? If you're moving, or moving away from it fast enough, or a red light turn green if you're moving towards it, I should say. You know, if you're moving towards it fast enough, the red light would turn green, would look green to you but you'd have to be traveling about two-thirds the speed of light. So it's not going to help you getting out of a ticket for running a red light because that's a pretty incredible speeding ticket you'd get instead, right? You're traveling three-quarters of the speed of light, a little bit over the speed limits here. But, you can, that, but that is the effect. You will be able to see that in space. We do see that. We have objects that are moving away so fast that we have lines, hydrogen lines, that form way down here in the ultraviolet that we can't see visibly that are shifted into the visible spectrum. That's how fast some of these very distant objects are moving away from us. And that's what we learn, one of the things we can learn from the Doppler effect. All right, let's finish up chapter two then. And that's, this is the last of what will be on the exam tomorrow. Um, 
define, I gave you a bunch of definitions in terms of the waves. Uh, we talked about the period, the wavelength, the amplitude, the frequency, and all of those kind of things. So definitions of those are important. Um, I went briefly over just sort of the cause of the electromagnetic waves, that accelerating charges cause that. We're not going into a lot of detail on that portion. The visible spectrum, that's the electromagnetic spectrum that we're used to. That's visible light, that's everything that we see. So different wavelengths, longer wavelengths, red are longer wavelengths, blue are shorter wavelengths. But that little bit of the visible spectrum is a teeny tiny portion of the entire electromagnetic spectrum, which includes everything from radio waves and infrared on the longer wavelength side of visible, visible light itself, and then ultraviolet x-rays and gamma rays on the shorter wavelength side. So for most of the history of astronomy, we studied visible light. In the 1930s we st and 40s, we started adding in radio waves. So we started studying two parts of the spectrum. It wasn't until spacecraft that we could get satellites up above the Earth in order to be able to study. And now we can study the universe in infrared, ultraviolet x-rays, and gamma rays as well. And we'll look a little bit about that in the next chapter when we talk about telescopes. Because it takes different types of telescopes to be able to observe some of those. And today we'll start talking about visible telescopes. But then tomorrow we'll go on and look at some of the other ones. We can learn a lot about a star by studying its spectrum. By studying its spectrum without even a spectrum, just looking at the, the black body radiation. Remember that characteristic curve where the peak of the, of the brightness was? Tells us the temperature. So we can learn the, bright, the temperature of an object just by measuring its light. Just by measuring the light from it, we can figure out how hot it is. Don't need to go take a nice big thermometer and stick it in the sun to see how hot it is, right? Meld anything we have. But we can actually get the temperatures very easily by just measuring the radiation coming from it. Spectroscope, that's what we're going to be using today uh, in part of lab. A spectroscope splits the light beam into, its, uh, into the colors of the rainbow, so into all the different colors. So red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and violet. So it'll split, split into all of those. We'll get to see some of that today. Um, the Kirchhoff's laws are pretty much what I've summarized here. Uh, we see a continuous spectrum. You get to see that. I'll have you look at the light bulb and we'll look at a continuous spectrum. You'll see everything from red through violet. You'll see all the different, all the different colors there. And that's a solid, a liquid, or a dense gas that causes that. If you heat up a gas, that's what the tubes scattered on the back tables are going to do. You put some electricity through those tubes. There's different elements within each one. And that will heat them up and cause them to glow. And what you're really going to be seeing today, you'll get to look at a continuous spectrum briefly, but you'll really get to look at an emission. Emission spectra we'll study in much more detail. A continuous spectrum, if you take a continuous spectrum like the light source and shine it through a gas, a less dense gas, you'll actually be able to see an absorption spectrum. That one we're not going to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do an example of that here for you. That's a little bit, a little bit harder to, to really demonstrate. Because even with the atmosphere here, you don't get enough, enough material in the way to block out the line, to get the lines visible. So that's a little bit harder to see, but I've shown you some examples of that. And then finally, what do we have up here? We explained the spectra. I talked about that last time, where we had the Bohr model of the atom, where the electrons were allowed to orbit here at some distance. There's the nucleus. They were allowed to orbit here. 
where they were allowed to orbit here, where they were allowed to orbit here, but could not be in between those. And that gave us very specific energies. And then when an electron jumps between those, so if an electron goes from the second level to the first, it will give off a photon. In this case, if this is hydrogen, that would be the photon of that red light of, of hydrogen. Each of those different transitions will give you a different line. So going from, or sorry, that, well, no, that isn't the red line of hydrogen. This, three to two is the red line of hydrogen. Sorry about that. Not that you don't need to worry about those specifically, but I don't want to give you the wrong information. This one is way off in the ultraviolet. That's a lot more energy. But each one gives you a very specific line that you can see, and that's what we're going to see in the spectra here. So I'll give you a chance to actually look at that today. So that's where we get emission and absorption. In the case where the electron goes from a higher level to a lower level, it's giving off energy and it emits a photon. If it's going from a lower energy level up to a higher one, that takes, it takes energy to do that, so that absorbs a photon. So when it jumps down, we get emission spectra. When it jumps up, we get an absorption spectra. And the last thing, what we talked about today was the Doppler effect. It can change the frequency that we perceive of radiation. That could be sound. That could be light. It doesn't change anything really. You know, the guy sitting in the fire truck hears exactly the same siren the whole time. It doesn't get higher and lower pitch all the time. It's exactly the same because he's not moving relative to the sound. The siren, the siren is moving along with him. But anyone standing on the ground will be able to notice that difference. And it depends on the relative speed, how fast everybody is moving relative to each other. So how fast anything's going relative to each other. Doesn't matter who's doing the moving. Could be the truck doing the moving. So your truck could be on the side of the road, still running its siren, and you go passing by it, you're going to see the same effect. You're moving towards it, you're going to hear a higher pitch. As you move away, you're going to hear a lower pitch. So. Questions on chapter two? No? We're ready for chapter three. No!